Welcome to another episode of Between Worlds Podcast. My name is Constantina, and I'm a wanderer. Well, I'm actually everything, and so are you. I started imagining BW when I was broken, I started producing it when I was broken, and I am still broken. I want that to be loud and clear. I have a little message before I introduce my next guest. You can be broken and create. I repeat, you can be broken and create. There is value in your brokenness. No one is observing your subtle imperfections. That microscopic lens is a limiting fragment of your own perception. I wish I had someone to tell me this earlier on in my life, that I didn't need to be any type of way to create. Creation is destruction. Creation is chaos. Creation is beauty. And beauty is everything. We all begin as bears. And slowly, slowly, with our great will and fate, we graduate from sheep to sheepdog to shepherd. In today's episode, I'm having a conversation with a beautiful lady named Amanda. We met in Tepoztlan, Mexico at a yoga teacher training. She is a master manifester and a free human. At the peak of her success in Toronto, she just left and moved to Mexico. I cannot wait for you to meet her. Amanda, how are you? I'm amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Amanda plants a seed today and tomorrow, whatever it is that she planted is already 10 years old. I mean, we don't have to wait (laughs) for her. It all just flourishes. She doesn't have to wait. It just happens for her. She has that magic. I want it. I look up to her. I admire her. Anytime that I try and do something new, I think if Amanda can do it, I can do it. (laughs) seriously man I can't um so I'm gonna start off with the question I ask everyone do you think you're a common person I I don't think I'm a common person no I'm I'd like to challenge the idea of a common person because I guess yeah everyone is is a human in, in a common way but I think I'm uncommon in the same way that everyone is uncommon so that could, you know, you could argue that that's a moot point (laughs) that Mm -hmm. you're both neither common nor uncommon, but I do think that everyone is special and everyone has a specific special thing to deliver on their time on earth. So do you believe in like the concept of everyone having a specific purpose? I do. I think there's, there's something that, that needs to come out of them whether they do that in this lifetime or not, who knows, but I think, yeah, everyone has something that they can offer to this world. When was your last epiphany and what was it? My last epiphany was realizing that, and this is actually going to be my new series in my podcast, The Miss Amanda Chen Show, that we spend too much time learning how to work, how to fit in with business etiquette and company structures and social cues and how to get along with everyone and how to save money, how to make money and continue doing that and reaching success and whatever that looks like. We spend no time learning how to live. And this has been my whole time really learning how to live. What does that even mean? I feel like I'm just starting to, to live and there's, I'm wearing training wheels. Like I need to figure out how to live. And it's such a strange concept, but I don't think we really spent enough time unpacking what it is to actually live. 
I forgot to mention that <clears throat> the podcast is a place where I theoretically strip you naked and you're left with what you know. Um, okay. So it's not about what you've done, what you've achieved. It's more or less what you have experienced and what wisdom has come from that. Um, and it's unconventional and abstract and eccentric. So you can say whatever you want. You can be any kind of Amanda that you want um, <laughs> because it's uncensored. And people know that from the get-go. They've known this for the episodes prior that this is what this podcast is all about. Amazing. So thanks for sharing your epiphany. And now with that being said, we do need some some background um, because <laughs> I invited you because I found it very interesting that you found so much success in your other life in Canada and you just decided to pack up your bags and go. Now, do you want to just give some brief on that, like what you were, who was Amanda in Canada and what, what woke up inside of you that urged you to leave and bring you where you are now? Mm -hmm. In reflection, I'm realizing that I attached my whole identity to a persona of a concept of a character of a role to play in modern society. And I started off wanting to be a journalist. I wanted to be like Carrie Bradshaw and Sex and the City, turned into a copywriter. And I turned into a bartender. You know, I turned into every typical character that you can see on TV because I thought that was a representation that you needed to be. And I had to turn myself, change myself, compromise myself in order to fulfill that role. And the most recent role was, you know, a boss, entrepreneur, girl boss, whatever you want to call it, that was inspiring other women to do things for themselves as well. And I thought, what a great thing to go behind. What a great role to play in this world. And that was really the success of Salty Paloma. It was inspiring. It was motivating. I created a line of flavored salts and sugars to go on margaritas. I like to call myself the Kleenex brand of margarita salt just because <laughs> it never existed before me. And during the pandemic, you had to pivot a lot, especially in Toronto, especially in Canada, because it was a complete lockdown. And I think this was like the entrepreneur's major contest <laughs> to see who's going to survive and, and thrive during this time. So obviously I love competition. I'm going to do it as much as I can and succeed. And this is the weirdest moment when you actually hit success and you reach it, you hit your goals, you're standing at the top of the mountain and you're like, wow, this is what success feels like. It's awesome. I'm being recognized for what this is, but am I truly this? And I didn't realize how unhappy I was until I was finally at that level of success. And I think that's a thing about goal setting. You always set for like, oh, what's next? What's next? What's next? You always think that there's something after this mountain, there's a higher mountain to climb. And I just hit the end and it was just like this big smack in the face. Like, why am I here? I don't even care about this. And, and then something just broke in me that I was like, I need to figure this out because I'm just going to find more and more mountains to climb, keep exhausting myself, standing at the top of the mountain, feeling really lonely and miserable and unhappy and wondering, why did I even climb this mountain? It's not even the route that I should be taking. And that really required me to go and look inward. And I remember telling myself, 
in my own secure sense, I, I needed a certain amount of money in the bank. So I was like, if I could get six figures cash in my bank, then I'll get a one-way ticket to Mexico and then I'll figure it out from there. At least I'll feel secure doing that. And I was kidding myself as if I was going to get six figures during the pandemic in lockdown in Toronto <laughs> with all of my jobs. I had to refund. I had to um, let go of all of my staff. Like there was, it was, there was no way in my foreseeable future that I was going to make that kind of success. So when I did uh, by launching cocktail kits, um, it, it was just so shocking. And I was, I was confused. I was right at my peak, but I wanted nothing to do with this. So I thought if I had no reason to be here, I'm not enjoying myself, then why not walk away? And walking away from a lot of money and success is probably the hardest thing for anyone to say that they have done in their life. Um, but I literally believe that that saved my life in walking away. What was the feeling? The way that I think about the death of something, if you are about to separate from something that you've attached yourself to for such a long time, like this is the Amanda, this is what people believe of me to be. How could I not continue this role? I don't even know what the other version would be. So there was a lot of, I was terrified, a lot of fear, a lot of confusion. Am I making the right decision? But anywhere else would be better than where I am today. So I, I needed to get out. I didn't care what the other option was. So the unknown felt more comfortable at that moment in time than mm -hmm. continuing on with what I knew was going to be fine and successful for everyone else to see except for me. And I needed to finally choose myself for once. And with the death of something, I feel like if some, if, if you're at your, like, I like to imagine this, if you're at your deathbed and you know, you're about to die for whatever cause at that moment, you kind of want life. You have this like vitality for life. Again, you want to like, hold on for your dear life because you know, it's ending. So I think that's what I was feeling. I was like, I need to hold on for dear life to this old Amanda, because I'm never going to see her again. And it, it was that it was kind of like this new love that I had for this old Amanda, this yeah. acceptance that I had for her and an understanding for her. And then realizing like, okay, there's, there's a, there's a cutoff point. There is a due date, a uh, flight date that I'm going to get off to. And, and I'm going to have to say goodbye to this, this person. Like setting, setting of a persona, but the way that you describe Amanda, I didn't know her then. But you don't seem too far away from her. Like maybe you're a new and improved version of her. Can you give like me and us um, examples of like what is different from from her and you now? Yeah, I think it's really funny because I told you a lot of stories about how I just would decide to do something and then tomorrow it would begin and. <laughs> I remember you calling me Amanda the Great and saying that I was just so alive. And yeah. that is still true all the time. I will decide to risk my life every single day and I'll do something super adventurous. I'll go swim with the sharks. I'll go do crazy things. And a lot of people ask me, well, aren't you afraid? How do you get the courage to do this? Get it. It's, I equate it to the same courage it takes for you to wake up and get out of bed. If you have to get out of bed, walk downstairs, get out of your door and cross the street, you have to trust everyone to follow the traffic rules and not run over you. So if you're going to trust a bunch of people to follow the system of life, to not run you over, 
why not go head first into the ocean and, mm-hmm. and see what happens there, you know, because you're trusting that you're going to be okay in this life in whatever action that you're doing, but you're choosing to be in this comfort zone of, of this bubble that you think is safe, but actually nothing is any safer or, or more safe than somewhere else. So that's why I always have the aliveness to, to just go and do anything. And I don't think that part of my characteristic is ever going to go away. The difference was I used to attach myself to that. So if I was someone that always went to swim with sharks, I had to be an amazing swimmer. I have to have 12 jobs doing something in the, in the water. I have to have 12 shark friends in different oceans. I don't know. Like I had to create this persona of extreme expertise or talent in that Mm -hmm. field to deem myself, um, valuable so that I had a worthiness to actually speak up about the topic. Whereas now I would like to call myself an expert in being alive. (laughs) I'm always a student and learning how to live. And that's a space that, that there's no, there's no borders around. You don't need a bachelor's degree in in living, you know, to live you can just go on and live. So I think it's really detaching myself from putting labels onto myself, calling myself an entrepreneur, calling myself this, that, whatever, attributing a certain level of expertise behind it to back up that statement. Whereas being a living human, I don't need to back that up in any way. I don't have to be mega alive (laughs) in any way to, to prove that point anymore like to be a superhuman, like be good at everything, be a professional at everything. You know, that's something that we have in, in Canada, I feel. Um, but I feel like you wouldn't have to try. Um, I, I really did try, I think. And I don't know. I think I tell you all of the cool stories, you know, I would tell you about how I would just be able to nail things, but I don't tell you about the like four or 5,000 other failures that got me to that one level of success. So even though every story I share is a success story, I think what I did, I didn't want to share was all of the other parts that I just accepted, all of the failures that I accepted because I knew I already had that idea of success in my head. I knew I was going to nail it. All I needed was the end result. I didn't care about everything else. And sometimes when I skipped that, I almost sound unreal. And I think in retrospect, now I'm really trying to balance that out and communicate all sides to my story so that I don't create this expectation. Maybe it's only in my head of needing to always succeed and overdo myself the next year, the next day, the next moment, and, and always have to beat myself in whatever way, shape or form in, in terms of success. As your, I know it has, but could you explain to us how your um, diet and your overall, we know now that you have left and your character has changed towards being an entrepreneur, but your diet, what you drink, what you don't drink and how, how this has changed as well, because I find it fascinating that you are on a path that is of higher consciousness, but you didn't know it at the time. Absolutely. I think it's really interesting. I remember going to Tulum for the first time in 2021 and I would buy beers because it's cheaper than water (laughs) and I would eat all of the street tacos and think, wow, like everything is like 
a dollar for a taco, why would I ever cook at home? There's no reason to. And I think I was very privileged and entitled in that beginning. And I ate everything in sight and I enjoyed everything. And I really like to pride myself on my palate, I guess, working in the hospitality space on what I believe was good food or bad food. And then I went to Mazunte here in Oaxaca and I did a 10 day meditation retreat, a silent meditation retreat. And the whole, um, the whole meal plan was vegetarian. And I've never gone on a vegetarian diet before. I didn't think that it was a big deal. In the very first few days, I was like, oh, we have mush for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't even know what we're eating, but it doesn't matter. It was just like this tasteless mush. And slowly as each day progressed, I was like, wow, this mush tastes like more and more delicious every single day. Like what is this mush? You know, I just got so excited suddenly about all this food. And I think I also didn't have all the distractions. I wasn't talking to people. Obviously we couldn't be on our phones. You know, it's a complete silent silence retreat where you were really looking internally and looking at this food, appreciating the food, being in this moment. And suddenly I just wanted to become more natural. And it wasn't only my diet. Like I, I suddenly just removed meat completely. I had no cravings for it. I started to actually remove cream and eggs and everything else. And I went full vegan um, and I eat raw as much as I can. Um, but I also started to look at myself and I was like, why do I care about having lash extensions? Why do I care about having my nails done about waxing, about having my hair dyed? Like, why do I care about all of these things? And I started to really want to get back to who this natural person looks like without the societal influence of what beauty is or what any characteristic of good or bad is. And I started to challenge my insecurities at that moment to say like, am I ugly? Do I need all of these things? Are these all Western constructs? The same thing of like, oh, a steak. Like, why did I think this was delicious? Was this again, a construct of like, maybe it's wealth or success to be able to afford this steak or to have this entire experience in this restaurant with people waiting on you. And then as I progressed in this experience, I started to become less connected to restaurants and the environment. And I didn't like people waiting on me and, and wiping my table and refilling my water cup. I didn't like all of these things anymore. And I started to want to shop at, at the local market instead of the grocery store that had everything refrigerated for, for months. You know, I wanted things done fresh and I wanted things immediate. Um, I wanted to feel everything and experience eating in a whole different way than I did before. So I cut out uh, drinking alcohol. I cut out drinking caffeine. I cut out meat. I, I cut out sex. I cut out music for a while. I cut out TV, all of these distractions that would influence my mind of how I would look at the world. I wanted to be as natural as possible and living and and challenge what mattered to me. And I realized how much of these foods that I thought I liked, like steak, I didn't actually mm -hmm. like. I just mm -hmm. created a palate for it and knew how to respect it based on what qualifies as a good or bad steak, but that doesn't actually mean I like it. The one thing I, I actually do realize that I appreciated and liked is coffee, but I actually can't drink it with the caffeine. So I'm, I'm trying to find other alternatives where I can roast other things so that I can still get that flavor and play with the process of making coffee without the caffeine. So 
out of that whole experience, I'm realizing like, wow, that was the one thing that I missed. I, I don't even care for like croissants or all of these things that I used to think defined me again, identifying myself with someone that likes croissants, let's say. And I realized actually it was my relationship to croissants. So if you ever wanted to break a habit or think that something is unhealthy for you, realize what your relationship is to that. Because croissants for me was really actually sharing a croissant with my friends because whatever in, in, in Western society, you think it's unhealthy to have a whole croissant to yourself. Let's say I realized I thought I liked croissants, but I actually just wanted to hang out with people. Like quality time was a big, uh, uh, my, my most important love language. So actually once I detached myself from the food and realized that what my real need was quality time, then I seek out quality time. And now it doesn't matter if that involves sharing a croissant or any other experience. The focus is now on that connection and not about the food and all the external factors that add up to what that experience can potentially be. And that's when I realized, wow, we put in all these expectations and like a date night or like whatever experience you want to put in because you're attaching yourself to all of those external factors to add up to your potential happiness or whatever the end result will come that you are expecting. But when you take out all of that, you don't have any expectations. So the whole house could be burning down and you have a burnt croissant, but it doesn't matter because you, the focus is on this connection instead. I want to ask you, um, what do you know of the spirit world? And did you know anything of like these conscious communities, spirituality, metaphysics back in Canada? I knew nothing. I was not spiritual at all. I barely meditated. And when I went to the silent meditation retreat, I looked at it as a retreat. I was like, cool vacation. I'm going to go on a digital detox. And then I was like, wait a minute, what is going on? I have to like learn stuff and then go into my mind. It was not what I expected. I thought it was going to be just chilling. So uh, yeah, no, no idea about any of these, these words, phrases on, on spirituality and books and, and teachings at all. Now, today, are you, um, do you find interest in these subjects? Do you read about it? Or are you more just intuitive. I do read into it when somebody mentions it. So if someone mentions like, I don't know, a law of attraction, let's say, then I'll, I'll look into it because maybe I did something that exemplifies that. And I'd like want to learn a little bit more into it. So recently I got into the concept of human design because I was feeling really disconnected with horoscopes and wondering why do we even look at horoscopes? This really matter that much is can everybody basically relate to every horoscope and I was just challenging notions of things. And then human design came into to question. And the, again, I was challenging that because I was like, oh, is that just how humans work? <laughs> Isn't that what human design is? Why does this matter to anybody? It's just like more proof of like, we're human and we do things in a humanistic way. So I was very skeptical about it, but once I opened up to it and thought about it a little bit more consciously, I could connect a little bit more dots and relate to it differently, but I haven't really been like, oh yeah, I'm definitely hardcore into like one or two teachings or practices or anything. Um, I think I, I more adopt the lifestyle of constantly being open, constantly questioning and always trying to detach yourself and your identifier from, uh, from any external ideas or concepts that you might learn from others. There's so many questions to unpack here. So what, what do you believe 
is like, what is your way of living then right now? If, if it's similar to any other way that exists, use the label. If not, try and describe it a little bit. I think living with aliveness, whatever that looks like to you and detaching yourself from any expectations and outcomes. So I don't know if that's just very general sweeping notions, but I think that's how I like to navigate around the world today. I used to believe that we needed to have a very specific purpose in, in the sense that you have to do the work to achieve this goal. Uh, I still believe that we have a purpose, but I think it's more of an internal inner purpose that we're trying to understand ourselves more rather than reach something. Do you believe in a higher source? I do. Uh, yeah, you do. How would you describe your the this highest source? I think the higher source is the higher self. So I, I don't think it's disconnected from you. So in Toronto, had you ever heard of people talking about these concepts like crystals and tarot and yoga? Like, had you done yoga before in Toronto? So... In Toronto, I did yoga because it was the only time that my brain would shut up and I did very aggressive hot yoga so that I could, so that my brain would shut up. On top of that, I would do a lot of boxing and kickboxing again to just get the aggression out and just to make my brain shut up for a minute. So it was very limiting in what it was offering me because I was so overstimulated with so many things that at that moment in time, running, jogging yoga and boxing were just actions to to get my mind to a meditative state where it finally wasn't thinking and I I didn't I I think I was just at the cusp of beginning to realize what that was and then when it came here to Mexico and I did meditation that was when I was like oh this is what meditation is like I had no idea I wasn't even anywhere close to it and I think that's very similar to like taking naps or you know getting high and doing yoga, like all of these kind of quick fixes, whether it's like a quick exercise, it could even be sex, you know, that, that would take you to at least a state of, of consciousness or awareness of what that is, um, where you're no longer just reacting to things around you. You can finally be a little bit more conscious and, and see yourself outside of the world that you're living in. Did you grow up in a religious family? No, not at all. Not at all. And your relationship with your parents, were they supportive throughout your youth and growing up in in Toronto? So my parents immigrated from Taiwan and then I was born in Canada. And for them, they just wanted me to grow up as a Canadian. They, They wanted me to not be bullied at school. They wanted me to have English as my first language. They wanted me to have all of the privileges that any Canadian born citizen would have. So for me, my aspiration was just to be a white girl. You know, I didn't, I rejected my cultural background for a really long time. And my parents kind of enforced that, you know, they were like, that's the better way you're in Canada. You should live like a Canadian and do all the things the Western way. So I think that's how I got really caught up into TV shows and and identifying myself into somebody else that was never really mine. And I think now in, in losing myself and realizing that None of these characteristics were ever really mine. And I don't need to be any of these things. I can continue just being 
an unlabeled thing. And uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> my parents are, are slowly getting more used to it. They, they wanted me to be normal in whatever sense that means uh, really badly. And realizing that that's never going to happen. <laughs> you know, I've kind of gone through a good 30 years of my life not being normal. So I think they've uh-huh. finally accepted that fate and are actually fully supportive of it now. I think they realize that whatever I will do, I'll be fine and successful at doing. And that my, my number one priority is happiness and peace. And I think they're now realizing like what a privilege that is to have attained what happiness and peace is because some people still go through life. So I battled with the idea of needing to be a good role model child and also having my own autonomy as a total individual human outside of my parents. So I spent a lot of my life trying to prove to my parents that, okay, if, if Amanda wants to go and be a journalist, my parents don't think that that's a safe job. Um, I have to prove that Amanda can do it. So I've always been hyper-focused, hyper-disciplined to make that happen, to say, okay, well, I've did, I've done it now. You can't tell me that it's that I can't do it. So I've always been against the idea of no, which is kind of not yet in my eyes. So from identity to identity to saying all these things, my parents were like, I have no idea what a social media manager is. We've never even had social media when we were kids, right? So they would never know these things. And I would keep trying to do something that was at least understandable in their eyes so that I could gain their approval. So I'd be like, well, I'm managing other people and I'm managing clients. I'm in boardrooms. Does that count? Then I would be like, okay, now I'm starting a business. I'm making money. Does that count? And that was the only thing that they could really understand quantifiably, you know, in production of salts and then getting money out of it. It was at least very linear for them working in factories. So that finally made sense to them. But I remember when I was working at, at bars and one time I was asking for a dress shirt because we had a different dress code for this really fancy cocktail bar I was working at. So I was asking if I could borrow my mom's dress shirt. And she was like, are you a waitress? in like a very (laughs) condescending way to be like, you went through all of this education, you have all these jobs, you've, you've done so much and now you're just serving people. And, and I think that was like a new level of disappointment that I've never heard before. And I, and I realized, okay, I need to, to walk away from this and I need to show that I'm, although I'm in the hospitality space, I'm not just a waitress and, you know, try to prove what that looked like. So I think I was always pressured to show them not just success, but like extreme success in a, in a very standout way, because for whatever reason, I I believe that they held me to that high of a standard. And then the hardest thing was really walking away from all of that because my parents were like, what do you mean? You're in your early thirties and you, you just hit your peak level of success why are you walking away from it and trying to act like you're you know someone on a a gap year in college you know that you're kind of too late for that so I think there's a a worry of that where where in my in my defense it was kind of like well I have all the freedom to live it properly you know because I don't have to figure myself out as well you know at least I've got a decade over these 20 something year olds I've at least figured out who I am I've tried some things and now I have the financial means to do this in a better way, in a, in a healthier way. Uh, whereas if in your twenties, you might not have as much choices. Um, so this was the first time my mom actually came to visit me 
in Mexico and there was a whole fight about it. My brother was trying to make me feel guilty about taking her away because <laughs> he wanted her to be the forever free babysitter for his kids. And I was like, let her have a chance to see my way of life because it's not fair. Like we're, we're just going to keep reinforcing the Western side of life. You know, she'll never see mine. And the way that I like to say it is happiness. You can't fake happiness. You can't hide happiness. So if she comes here and she sees how happy I am living the simple life, eating fruits and vegetables that come off the trees and not needing to go to restaurants, not needing to prove myself and go to conventions and whatever it is to see how much happier I am, then maybe she'll be more on board. And at the beginning, she was not for it, but I saw how much she was desperately trying to understand her daughter. She would come with me every morning to do yoga. She would participate in eating whatever vegan foods I was cooking. And towards the, the, the end of her trip, you know, she started to integrate her own foods, you know, that she wanted to eat. And then kind of, we would just cook se separately, you know, and I think she was finally accepting that we're just two different humans now, not that like, I am an extension of her anymore. So I finally got to see her also learning how to detach herself from this mother role and start seeing me as an individual. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I want to bring clarity to um, this, this transition that you've made. And I thought of a really good question. Can you describe the future you see for yourself now as you are now and the future that Amanda saw for herself when you were in Toronto? So old future would be to expand salty outside of Canada, go to the US, go global, take over the world, dominate with a whole bunch of other products and partner with other big brands and potentially sell out to some massive corporation and then live on an island somewhere drinking margaritas at the beach. Uh, we have kids and we live in this awesome retreat house <laughs> somewhere and and um and I'm doing all this fun content with these kids. I'm probably all over social media about this dream life and continuing that dream and being the example of that dream. And I think the new version of me doesn't want to participate in that. I don't want to be an example of the one that made the dream happen because that means that in order to achieve that dream, you have to do X, Y, and Z, and you have to compromise all of these things. And you have to be the exception to the rule. And you have to be super special and you have to do all these things and you have to go through this massive struggle over and back to deserve the title of being the one of the few that made it in quotations. So, so although I do believe that I'm an uncommon person, I don't believe that I deserve special treatment and that I need to prove myself to the whole world to be an example of what I deserve to have. So now I don't see myself living anywhere <laughs> still. I think that's one thing I'm, I'm continuing to un unpack with myself, with my commitment to being not commit committed to anything or to any place at least. <laughs> so I think I would <laughs> be living in multiple places and enjoying the ability to create home in anywhere that I'm at 
and not needing to prove that to anyone that my sales just come quietly, that I don't have to push them or, or anything. I have a pretty passive income, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And I believe that I have a home with many friends. I might have, I mean, right now I'm living in this mountain home on, on the top floor. There's two other families that live below it. And the and they're all friends with each other. They're all like 70, 80, they're all friends with each other and they just have lived here for years. So I imagine something like that would have a massive property with kind of long-term friends that would live for, you know, a couple months here and there in, in different houses that I own. And, and that's it for me, I think. Um, I'm not sure if I would, yeah, have like my own family. I would have a family that I've curated you want kids? Do you like the idea of children? What that would mean to you to not, or to have kids? It would be nice to have kids. I don't think it's something I'm actively pursuing though. It's not like the game plan for me. So if that happens, it's a pleasant surprise. Yeah. I I wouldn't plan it in the same way that I used to think was required, you know, that you'd have Mm -hmm. to have this life partner, that you'd have all these commitments in place. You'd have financial balance. You would have a right neighborhood that you live in, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't think I would do any of that. I kind of think I'm closer to adopting today than I would be having my own child at this point. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that I, I believe in, in that construct anymore. So I would totally be happy, you know, sharing responsibilities with another platonic friend in adopting a child if both of us wanted to take care of a child let's say then we would both live on this place and we both take care of this child or multiple children um yeah there's there's so many potentials i could you know volunteer at a school uh where i would still get that relationship so i think what matters to me more is that i want to be influencing the youth in whatever way that i can I don't think I need ownership of one or two <laughs> specifically to be like, these are my children and I do it. You know, that's the extension of me and my teaching practice. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think I, I wouldn't be attached to that anymore. So however I look at this, this child, if it comes out of my body or someone else's body, um, you know, I'm only here for, to deliver one part of their life, you know, and I, and I hope that I can do that in, in a healthy way in an inspiring way rather than having full troll over what that person's future is going to be like. I had this actually, this thought, there's a lot of stray dogs in Mexico. That's like a huge thing. It's always barking in Mexico. It's how you know you're in Mexico. And, and I thought for a while, I was like, oh, what if I adopted a, a dog and I've never had pets in my life? And I had this concept of like, well, if it followed me home, then I would let it be with me. And then if it left me, then I would let it leave me. You know, there, I don't think I would ever need it to be permanently with me you know I wouldn't put a leash on it and name it and all these things so if it comes it comes and it leaves it leaves and that's how I I look at all relationships now and not to say that I would just take a kid in and and when it's done leave but (laughs) I mean potentially too (laughs) I don't know I'm not sure how that works in Mexico but yeah I think having everyone to have their own accountability for themselves and you don't have to shelter animals, children, whatever it is, you know, as much as we think we might have to. Uh, what is the, the major thing you have learned 
from this new reality you're in? I think it's that nothing really matters. And you can look at that in a skeptical way. It's like nothing really matters. So what's the point, which is how I used to think in a very um, depressive way. Or you can be like, wow, nothing really matters. So I can just do anything I want. And that's really freeing. So I, I still like to, to think about that, you know, like, wow, nothing really matters. So you don't need to think too, too deep about these things, but also, wow, because nothing really matters. How do I find things that impact me or mean anything to me? So it's always a, a fun balance to play with. So beautiful. <laughs> Nothing matters, you know, because I used to say that, in a sense, uh, that what you're saying it sounds very nihilistic. Uh, however, again, it's this thing that you're saying that you're focusing on, and this is your way. It's detachment, and that word can be um, scary for. And I think and- what I didn't realize before is I thought detachment was like, yeah, surrender, let go. Like, how do you even do that? How do I get rid of these things? It's not a, it's not, um, it's not a release as much as it sounds like a release. It's more, it's very active to choose to not let these things affect you, you know, as an active choice. And I think that's why my, my discipline comes to play here of like, oh, I'm going to actively choose to not let this bother me because this thing is not mine. So all of the bullshit, all of the like bad feelings that I get from this are not mine. And likewise, all the good things that I think are coming out of this are also not mine. So I have to accept both sides to that. And I think that's what I mean by like, it doesn't, nothing really matters. Like both the good and the bad out of that or the perceived good or badness of that, none of them matter. And, you know, that is true freedom because what we are so used to as freedom means you're in a prison and you have to break out of it. Whereas true freedom is you just never had a prison to begin with. So remove all of those chains that are attached to your identity to that, to being condemned to that prison, because that is not yours to have. Neither is having the freedom. And I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's how I like to think of it in, in that sense where you're actively making a choice to not identify yourself with both things that have happened to you, things that you plan to do, all of them, like all of the good things that you, all the goals that you want to get to those relationships, those attachments, neither of those are yours, just in the same sense, all the traumas, all the experiences you've had, the background you've had, that's also not yours. And that's really like helping you lift a weight off of your shoulders. What are some things you like about Canada? Hmm, That's hard because I don't like that part as much as I used to. Um, I think I can respect where it all came from I can respect the the dream that you can make anything happen out of nothing you know and 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 if you want to create something you have the power within yourself to do so I think there's also a thing to be said about community Um, as much as I don't like the societal influence of what we believe we need to act and behave like to achieve certain things i don't like the rat race but i do enjoy meeting other people like you and other friends that have come from toronto to visit me in mexico that we can still have this toronto connection 
where we can be like, oh, this reminds us, reminds me of this cafe in Toronto, or this place reminds me of this, or I can actually connect to that actual space of Toronto. And the one cool thing about Toronto is it's always innovating. There's, they're like the most known city for food fusion restaurants, you know? So I think it's very inclusive in that sense. And that's really shaped how I navigate through my own life and, and making sure that everything I do is inclusive and, and innovating within that kind of partnership, collaborative mentality. You felt that a lot in Toronto, that it was collaborative. I did. I think that, I mean, I think it was hard to get in. <laughs> you're, you're definitely able to collaborate and, and you get that respect. And, and that's, that's really beautiful. So I think we have a lot of work uh, <laughs> to do in making that a bit more of a healthier journey. journey. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I do think collaboration is a big thing. I mean, because what I'm understanding is, is like, if you're nobody, then expect to be nobody because no one is going to want to collaborate with you. And that's kind of the vibe that I got <laughs> back in Vancouver. Um, so when I was born in Toronto and I wanted to be as successful as I could, I moved to New York because there's a bigger city. And then I moved to London because there's a bigger city. I kept trying to go bigger and bigger and bigger. And I don't, I had no desire to go to Latin America at that time. Cause I, I believed that I just believed in white culture. You know, I believed that that was the, the most successful place to be. And then you should make a statement there. And now that I've come to Mexico and learning the language, I'm learning the culture. It actually made me respect my own roots a lot more. And I do aspire eventually to do the same thing, you know, explore all of Taiwan, more parts of Asia. Um, and now that I'm a citizen here in Mexico, I'm going to go and explore a lot more of Latin America. And it's the first time that I realized like, wow, there's, there's so much culture. And then here I was trying to just be like everybody else in, in that space. So that's the only advice that I would give to people that are living in like a, a kind of North American Western space. Of, of needing to compete in that world, that's a bubble. There's so much more to this world. Being top dog in Toronto on Queen Street, sure, everyone's going to know your name at the four bars that you frequent, but when you go to Mexico, no one knows who you are, you know, and it doesn't matter anymore. You can walk to the beach in sweatpants and no one cares. Like, you know what I mean? It, it, these, <laughs> these things don't matter anywhere where before mm-hmm. maybe it, it did. Now I'm going to ask you the final question. (laughs) Okay. What is the meaning of life? Hmm, The meaning of life. For me, the meaning of life is to live it. Is to not hold back from anything that you want to do and just live without fear and take everything as it is, as it happens, take the consequences for your actions take the blessings that are waiting for you just live it all thank you again you even with that you just inspired me um you have to know like literally I want you to um really take my compliments when I say like you're doing such a good job and you are role model and if there's something that you can do is share and spread your journey 
um, because a lot of people right now are in the dark and they need guidance and you're someone that I would refer to hands down. Thank you. Thanks for being on my podcast. Nah.